Welcome to the Digital Euro Podcast by the Digital Euro Association. In this podcast, you will learn about the disruption of technology in the monetary and financial system. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Digital Euro Podcast, the podcast by the Digital Euro Association, or DIA for brief, which is the biggest European think tank on topics within the realms of digital money and specifically the digital euro. I'm Sarah Polarevich and I'm an executive director of the DIA and today we have a bit of a different format because today we are going to take a closer look at the crypto bubble and what it has to say about CBDCs and the other way around. So what do CBDC proponents have to say about cryptocurrencies? And if I say crypto bubble, I just want to make sure to mention that I'm not referring to any price developments in the market currently, even though this would be an entire podcast episode in and by itself. But for today, we are going to focus on what's happening on Twitter, basically. So what's happening in the Twitter crypto bubble and the CBDC bubble. So to understand how these perspectives of crypto proponents and CBDC proponents clash, but also where they might have common denominators, I first want to point out a couple of things that we should keep in mind when we talk about those two camps of crypto proponents and CBDC proponents. Since we also know that it's not always that clear where crypto ends and CBDCs start necessarily. And before I do so, I just want to mention that of course the especially the spectrum of crypto proponents is very broad so on the one hand we have bitcoin maximalists and they they don't necessarily accept any other crypto project besides bitcoin since they claim that other crypto projects have problems with true decentralization given that they're not necessarily proof of work um, based when it comes to the consensus algorithm that they use um, and then we also see in the crypto space that not all those in favor of Web3 applications, for example, or, or metaverse um, applications think that Bitcoin will be the next world currency. So there is certainly a lot of a lot of uh, on the spectrum, let's say, for crypto proponents. And the same, of course, has to be said for CBDC proponents as well. With that being said, let's see where crypto ends and CBDCs start. And the first point I want to make here is that cryptocurrencies have an investment value. So you can receive interest rates in the form of lending rewards and staking rewards. You can also borrow your cryptocurrencies, um, put them on exchanges, um, use leverage and so on. So a classical investment vehicle as we know it, whereas CBDCs don't have an investment value. So there isn't necessarily, let's say at least, a remuneration in the form of interest rates that you can get. And why is that? That has to do with a CBDC, let's say Euro CBDC, breaking parity with the Euro foreign exchange rate, which would cause all sorts of other problems on a macroeconomic scale. Now, for lending and staking, if we talk about CBDCs, that is in the cards technically, but you would need a bridge to DeFi in order to make that happen and use some type of representation likely of a CBDC if the CBDC itself isn't blockchain based. So I think it's fair to summarize that currently the goal of a CBDC is to be there for commercial online payments, whereas for cryptocurrencies, we can say the same. So they're also there for commercial online payments, but they're also there as an investment value. 
And the point that I already mentioned, basically, so if a CBDC is blockchain-based is my second biggest point, which is, of course, we know that CBDCs do not have to be blockchain-based to begin with, and we don't see a big inclination, actually, in general, when it comes to what type of um, yeah, what type of CBDCs countries are looking into. And now if we assume that a CBDC is blockchain-based, they are usually private blockchain-based. So they use a private blockchain network, meaning they have a central validator or a permission network of validators that run the network. So if you look at China, as an example, when state and bank officials there use the term blockchain technology, they actually only mean private blockchains. Because there, as we know, the People's Bank of China, they set up the blockchain service network, the BSN, which is um, certainly a private blockchain. But what they do is they allow third-party projects um, to run on the BSN. So just to name a few examples, that would be Ethereum, Tezos, and Solana just recently joined, actually. And they are, again, decentralized in themselves. But you can, of course, make the point um, that this is true decentralization since the um, network that they're building on is already a private blockchain to begin with. Now, the last point I want to make about cryptocurrencies and CBDCs here is that both can become legal tender of countries. <laughs> and of course, the difference here, the big one is that not all countries are going to be as inclined to have cryptocurrencies as legal tender as they would be inclined to have a central bank digital currency. And the reason for that is quite simple, actually, because for CBDCs, we know that the monetary monopoly of a country or a state or a currency unit has the upper hand uh, when it comes to design features um, like data privacy and security. And they certainly have um, the power of being able to monitor um, and make adjustments if they wanted to change design features later on, for example, they could simply do so and wouldn't have to rely on a cryptocurrency that is basically taken off the rack and they um, can, they are uh, kind of um, inferior to whatever is, is happening in the network. Of course, you can create your own, um, yeah, well, maybe not CBDC, but your own, your own token that is uh, coming from the state on, for example, Ethereum, but then again, you are relying on a um, open blockchain and there's a couple of risks connected to doing so, of course. So from a central bank's perspective, um, it is quite reasonable that they would rather have a CBDC as a legal tender. And if we put it into numbers, of course, we know that Bitcoin is only legal tender in two countries as of right now. So in El Salvador and the Central African Republic, whereas um, CBDCs are more broadly adopted um, as legal tender in general. Now, with that being said, as a little caveat and a little reminder up front, let's jump into the common denominators that CBDC proponents and crypto proponents have in general. And the biggest one that I want to point out, and there's only two in general that I found, but I'm uh, open to hear if there's any more that I missed. So do make sure to um, to reach out if you have any more that you can think of. But the first one would be the need for digitized money as a common denominator. So both crypto proponents and CBDC proponents are in line that simply digitalizing the process of settling payments isn't enough, but that we actually need to tokenize money. If we just take the superficial statement, then they are both 
completely in line. But if we now take a look at a Bitcoin maximalist point of view, they might argue that Bitcoin renders all other forms of money obsolete, meaning that this is opposing to a CBDC's proponent's perspective, possibly. Because what CBDC proponents often see is that um, crypto and CBDCs are simply an addition um, to other forms of money, which includes physical cash, which includes um, third-party um, online payment platforms such as PayPal, for example. So it's a bit less extreme into one direction in terms of um, what a CBDC versus a cryptocurrency might achieve in terms of, of market share or transaction volume share. What we also know, though, is that over 90% of the money in circulation today is from checking deposits. And what crypto is aiming to do is it wants to move the big share of this, of these 90%, into DeFi or Bitcoin, whereas CBDCs, they arguably more so want to reduce a country's dependency on third-party online payment platforms, so such as PayPal, or in China we see Alipay and WeChat, and also address the death of cash, of course, um, and also make this money in circulation, this big share of money um, that we currently still have um, in checking deposits, more more transparent depending on the design and the ability of a central bank, of course, or commercial banks in, in that case, um, make that more transparent and uh, traceable, as we've seen with the travel rule. Um, there's um, a big interest from these uh, financial institutions to to track um, and know where the money is going uh, for tax reasons, um, for example. Now, also, crypto proponents and CBDC proponents, they both make the point of fostering financial inclusion and accessibility, both, of course, in a different uh, way. So depending on whether it's token-based or account-based, whether a CBDC is token-based or account-based, of course, um, that is already a big yeah, question of philosophy, I guess, um, where crypto proponents are more inclined to agree with the token-based model, whereas the account-based model is basically just a representation, a digital representation of what we currently already have, um, where you still need to set up a bank account. So it's questionable whether that would actually move um, people into having and setting up a bank account um, all that much. Um, and then, of course, accessibility is referring to uh, there being the possibility of making um, also offline payments. So not just accessibility um, to people, but also in terms of um, independence of the Internet and being online. Now, the second biggest common denominator that I found is the need to bag money. And before we get into how CBDC proponents and crypto proponents see the importance of backing money, let's just refresh what back money is. And back money or back currency is a form of currency that comes with a guarantee that can always be exchanged for another asset. And not just for another asset, but also for a predetermined amount of that other um, asset. So we've seen that with gold, with gold, for example, in the past. And what crypto proponents, um, of course, often say is that neither Bitcoin nor fiat currencies are backed by another asset, um, but that crypto is actually um, backed by 
the amount of work it takes to create it. So um, the the work that's going into mining Bitcoin, for example, um, and as it's often also compared to metals that derive their value from scarcity instead of construction and engineering use, scarcity of Bitcoin is also often quoted as the thing that gives crypto its value and its its backing. And for CBDCs, we also know that um, central bank money is backing CBDCs, of course. So that's essentially backing bank deposits for consumers. And from the view of a central bank, they are pursuing, of course, monetary policy goals with um, backing money and maintaining the stability of the financial system and also promoting the effectiveness and efficiency of the financial system um, and them taking their their task as lenders of last resorts very seriously if they do back the money with um, central bank money in that case. So essentially um, the goal to back money uh, with a CBDC or have a CBDC that's backed by money is to strengthen trust in monetary monopolies once again. And if you ask Christine Lagarde, she, of course, says that cryptocurrencies are based on nothing. And that's actually also our biggest problem with it. That's not based on any underlying asset, whereas the crypto community makes the point, well, if you don't believe, quote unquote, in um, state issued money to begin with, then no money at all is is backed um, to begin with. So we, we might as well believe um, and place our trust in a currency that at least gives us um, a safe haven when it comes to um, the fixed amount, a store of value, um, a peer-to-peer network, and so on. And this is actually the perfect uh, point where we can go into the opposing views right now, because I already quoted uh, Christine Lagarde, who is uh, certainly more of a CBDC proponent than she is a crypto proponent. Um, And there's a couple of more quotes that I want to mention under the point of crypto as a currency and crypto as a valuable uh, good. Now, as I've said, Christine Lagarde, she also said that Bitcoin has facilitated funny business around the world and that it needs to be regulated at the international level, which is a quote from her. And she also sees Bitcoin as a quote unquote, highly speculative asset. So If you asked her, she certainly wouldn't say that crypto has a value to begin with. Um, And she probably, she hasn't said anything about it, but using crypto um, and specifically Bitcoin here as a currency, she would probably have a similar stance on that as she has on um, the valuableness of crypto. And I mean, if you do look at El Salvador, Right now, where Bitcoin is introduced as legal tender, we see that due to the falling Bitcoin exchange rate, the introduction of the planned Bitcoin government bond is postponed for one. So it actually has effects on um, El Salvador's um, state budget right now as well. And they hold 2.3 thousand Bitcoin on their balance sheet. To put it into perspective, that's just under 0.5% of the state budget. However, the unrealized losses um, that they currently have um, due to the bear market, um, according to calculations by Bloomberg, and this has been two weeks ago that Bloomberg published those calculations, um, is estimated at uh, 56 million US dollars that they have in unrealized losses due to their Bitcoin bullishness, basically. And 
yeah, as I said, this was two weeks ago. So right now, the amount of unrealized losses that they have must be even higher since Bitcoin dropped even further. So th there is a point to be made here. Um, and then if you do compare it to um, the crypto proponents, they, of course, say, well, um, our current currencies aren't valuable uh, either, or at least there you know exactly how much they will lose in value within a year on average at least. So basically there we already know um, that this isn't a store of value because we keep losing uh, at least 2% um, of our value of our currency per year. Well, this year, of course, it's much more, at least in the Eurozone and around the world, certainly. So um, in Russia, inflation is as high as 16%. Um, in the Eurozone, we're getting close to 10%. So I guess both sides can actually make quite similar arguments here when it comes to crypto being a currency and it being valuable. And of course, um, CBDCs being a currency is more so a, a top-down decision than it is if we say that crypto is a currency, which of course a country also has to decide whether crypto is a legal, legal tender. But if crypto is, is used broadly, then you can still make the point that besides it not being a legal tender, it can still act as a currency, as we've, for example, seen with Terra in, in South, Af in South uh, Korea, actually uh, being used as somewhat of a shadow currency, let's say, next to the local currency per se, and what types of problems that caused once Terra actually crashed. Let's move on to the next point right now, which is the philosophy. So we couldn't find more divergent opinions here or opposing views, I don't think, um, as we can see with philosophy. So to use another quote by Edward Snowden, who you're probably familiar with, he thinks that CBDCs are a perversion of cryptocurrency and that quote-unquote money cannot exist outside the knowledge of the central bank. So as you get the notion, he sees CBDCs as a slave coin and also sees the risk of a digital ID and the linkage of a CBDC to a social scoring system as a very real threat to um, personal freedom um, of a person and autonomy. So therefore, the entire idea of crypto, which has to do with uh, crypto being hard money, it having a fixed supply, um, it being censorship resistant. Um, well, you can make the point it's more anonymous than a CBDC, at least in some instances, even though one needs to mention that Bitcoin or other crypto currencies don't necessarily offer perfect anonymity, rather um, pseudonymity, if anything. Um, to begin with, but I'm pretty sure that Edward Snowden would basically say that cryptocurrencies would still be the better way to go as compared to CBDCs here. And I've already touched on a couple of the things, um, philosophy-wise, how a CBDC and crypto proponents differ. But just to go through them again, so the idea of having hard money and a fixed supply of, well, for Bitcoin, it's 21 million uh, Bitcoins, as we know, versus unlimited supply and the um, possibility to inflate money is, of course, very opposing. Then the argument of store of value um, diverges heavily as well, with the one 
So with Bitcoin, for example, you can make the argument that as of right now, um, it's rather a long-term store of value than it is in the short term. So rather a seed over a 20-year horizon as compared to one-year horizon. Um, however, with a CBDC or with the euro, you currently at least uh, know kind of um, the the frame of in which it, within which you're going to lose value Um yeah, off your euro supply that you currently have. Then the entire idea of trustlessness is, of course, also highly different for crypto proponents as it is for um, CBDC proponents, which I will get to in my third point, which is dealing with central versus decentral money, who's the issuing source and who's managing uh, money. But crypto proponents certainly make the point that it's better to trust an algorithm than it is to trust people and that trust is removed altogether and being replaced by cryptography. The entire idea of decentralization, of course, is also something that they don't necessarily agree on. So one thinks um, that money should come from a, from a centralized source, um, an issuing source, um, the monetary monopoly of a country or currency union, whereas um, decentralization is, of course, referring to there not being an intermediary of any kind and peer-to-peer -peer, uh, payments being being possible, being made possible, um, and thus there not being uh, any censorship involved. So um, no matter what you want to buy, you may buy it without any repercussions and having to comply with uh, what's lawfully allowed to, to purchase, even though that's, of course, also heavily regulated. Um, and as an as much of a wild west as it used to be, at least when uh, Silk Road was around. Now, I hope I'm not mispronouncing the <laughs> the next word, but uh, the next one would be unconfiscatableness. Okay, I'm going to say that again. <laughs> unconfiscatableness. Unconfiscatableness. Okay, nochmal. So the next one would be unconfiscatableness which is referring to nobody being able to take your money away from you or freeze your accounts, as, for example, we've seen with the Celsius network now, since if you have the keys to your coins, they are actually your coins and you're not relying on any exchange or the likes, um, and there is no other entity that has access to your account except for yourself. Let's move on, as I've mentioned, to the third point, which is dealing with decentral versus central money. So the issuing source of money and the management. Let's first take a look at um, public money. So the tasks of a central bank and the tasks of a central bank, of course, differ from country to country. But in general, you can say that um, a central bank is there to provide a country's currency or a um, currency units, currency, to ensure price stability, for example, by controlling inflation or controlling costs for borrowing and lending um, of the currency, uh, doing open market transaction, um, also ensuring um, steady GDP growth, and also helping and being the regulatory authority of a country's monetary policy. A central bank is also the only entity that can provide and print notes and coins in regulation, in circulation. <laughs> okay, noch mal in that. A central bank is also the only entity that can provide and print notes and coins, 
that are in circulation as legal tender. And as you can see, this is, of course, a heavily centralized endeavor, which is not something that the crypto bubble necessarily agrees with. Um, and in fact, they are basically questioning in how far there should be a monetary monopoly to begin with. Um, and why should it be decided basically for for the people which type of money they want to use and why should it be centralized so why can it not be decentralized and as we also know um, although central bank money is regarded as a liability it doesn't entitle you as the bank hold banknote holder to raise a claim against the central bank so you would need a contractual relationship between the central bank and banknote holders in order to regard it as a liability um, and have a direct uh, claim against the central bank here, basically. So my point earlier about the money being backed is, of course, uh, not that easy in, in practice as it is in, in theory. Now, if we take a look at private money, um, so crypto and Bitcoin, then we know that Bitcoin is for basically stopping anyone from printing money is what what's often quoted. Uh, what you read on Twitter, um, I think half of the uh, Bitcoin Twitter sphere is about um, quantitative easing, for example. And the point is made that crypto is for people who want to reinvent the hierarchy. Um, and then if you want to continue that sentence a bit cynically, then you would say with themselves at the top is how they want to reinvent the hierarchy. Um, but that, of course, depends on who you're asking. And this, again, referring to the aspect of what is true decentralization. So as soon as a CEO of a crypto project holds more than a certain percentage of all tokens in circulation, you can argue, um, and, and that token then being proof of stake based, of course, um, that crypto isn't all about decentralization as much as it claims to be. And as of right now, a big issue of CBDC proponents with crypto is, of course, also that um, the crypto market is still a market of some unregistered securities. So there's still ongoing debates on how to classify certain certain things that are uh, taking place in, in DeFi. Uh, so, for example, uh, stablecoins are defined as e-money, even though... Um, the definition is more of a catch-all than it is as than it is a great definition or one-to-one -one, uh, what stablecoins are, um, and we of course see more regulation emerging as we go along. Now we also see that um, the Binance security token, or well, it's in question whether it's a security token, is under yeah, well, or is is basically under. Um, investigation by the by the Fed. So there's still a lot of uncertainty going on. And this is obviously something that a central bank doesn't like to see. So there needs to be 100% certainty with um, money that is being used as legal tender of a country, since this isn't just some sandbox environment that you're using to test out a new currency. Um, this can be the most important tool and people's day-to-day -day lives, then we're talking about the realms of, well, depending on the country that you're looking at, but um, population sizes, they are in the millions, of course. 
So in Germany, that would be about um, 83 million people that need to use it. And if there's any type of uncertainty attached to unregistered securities, um, making it a legal tender would become a big problem, of course. Let's move on to my fourth point, which is the trust in monetary monopolies. And this already became evident a bit earlier. Um, and as we know, crypto exists as a method to do away with the need to trust in institutions altogether, obviously. And the crypto bubble also um, claims that there is little to no trust in monetary monopolies um, to begin with. Whereas CBDC proponents basically say that CBDCs are a way of uh, rekindling trust in institutions. So let's move on to the fifth point, which is data security, privacy and anonymity. And this could truly be an entire episode in and by itself. And if we look at what the crypto proponents say, they, of course, with the CBDC fear losing financial privacy. In fact, they even fear becoming transparent citizens altogether. If we remember the quote by Snowden, and that's exactly what he's facing or, or fearing. And what he does, though, is throw in two things into one. So he's assuming that a CBDC would not have the opportunity um, or not give him the opportunity to pay in an anonymous way, which isn't set from the very beginning, but is often basically glossed over by the crypto bubble to receive more clicks or to be more extreme. Um, but this is actually not the truth if we do look at it, because there are possibilities. So for example, you can um, sign up via your phone number um, without any further verification and then uh, make your payments um, on the Bahamas with a cent dollar, the CBDC that's being used there. Um, so there are some mechanisms in place that ensure anonymity at least to a certain threshold or a certain amount of money. Um, and that means that not every transaction will will show um, at the central bank. So the fear of becoming transparent must at least be looked at from a, from a little step back sometimes. If we do continue in the line of argumentation, though, for crypto proponents, we also know that they deem the almost religious mantra of not your keys, not your coins is very important. So um, they basically say, I want to have full control over my my data, my, my money necessarily, and uh, also my privacy. So I'm only using money that's um, pseudonymous and also anonymous or at least more so than CBDCs. They're also worried about um, CBDCs becoming a information honeypot. So that if a central bank issues a CBDC that the um, data storage system that they're using um, would actually be susceptible to cyber attacks more so than uh, crypto. And if we do take a look at the CBDC proponent side, we know um, that they are um, aware and assuming that a CBDC may not be anonymous, but that doesn't mean that they are not in favor of it being anonymous. Um, and as I've said before, CBDCs can be designed to offer thresholds up till which no identification of the payer is needed. 
And this can uh, also be achieved by either using zero-knowledge proof setups or blind signatures, for example. So technically, there are ways in which you can make a CBDC um, anonymous and ensure data privacy. And there isn't really any point to be made about um, CBDC proponents not deeming uh, data security and privacy in cryptos as as a wrong thing or as something to attack necessarily. But what we do know is that CBDC proponents often um, name the problem of there not being an entity to be liable necessarily. So for example, with a a decentralized autonomous organization, there's not necessarily a legal entity that you can directly claim at if there's any money that you want to redeem from them. Meaning from a legal perspective, you might be in big trouble um, as a consumer if um, a project just goes offline without telling you beforehand since um, there there's no one person that you can go after legally to reclaim your money at one point. Now let's move on to the sixth and last point for today, which is the opposing view that new forms of money enable new business models. And maybe this one isn't as opposing as the other ones were, but certainly what we see with the current uh, design of CBDCs or the direction in which they're going you can make the point that they're actually quite opposing. <laughs> because whereas we see with, with DeFi and the metaverse and Web3, entirely new business models emerging. So we see pay-per-use, uh, micropayments being made possible, um, and all these connections with other uh, fintech sector-related uh, developments such as AI and um, uh, Internet of Things and Industry 4.0 and so on. Um, we know that CBDC proponents are necessarily looking into digital money as a means to um, yeah, foster innovation and more businesses and startups settling in the country or a currency union um, as compared to simply tokenizing money. So the question a bit here is if we look behind the welfare considerations for a country, do we want to attract startups to settle here with their businesses? And as I've said, this is of course about programmable money, but this is only the cornerstone of what uh, fintechs in general are looking into altogether. And we do see some countries that are less skeptical about DeFi and they consider a blockchain-based um, CBDC where they actually want to bridge DeFi and the CBDC. So one example for this would be Ukraine, which is basing their CBDC on the Stellar Network, for example. And already now they're talking about um, how can we participate in DeFi as, a, uh, as the National Bank of Ukraine, essentially. And crypto, of course, I think this goes without saying, but I'll just mention it for the sake of completeness, is, of course, all about those new business models um, from beginning to end. So basically everything that we already have in TradFi is being reinvented and even expanded in crypto. So new business models is basically what the crypto space, uh, at least the crypto startup space, is all about. Those were the biggest common denominators and opposing views that I find with the crypto bubble and the CBDC bubble. In closing, I'd like to draw attention to our social media channels and the DN newsletter. The latter you can simply sign up to via our website for CBDCs and stablecoin related content and our social media channels, namely LinkedIn and Twitter, which our Twitter handle is at DigiEuro. 
And that being said, thank you for tuning in today. I look forward to receiving all of your thoughts, if you have any, on this topic, which I find a very, very interesting one and very dynamic one. And I hope that you tune in into our next episode as well.